Off the ball. Somebody says this is bizarre radio. Ice cream on a pancake. Tuna. <laughs> He's brought shame to the whole town, village where he lives. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. The Football Kickoff with Sky. Watch every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. All right, it is that part of the week where we whet your appetite suitably for the feast of football coming to your television over the course of the weekend. Uh, the five games we're focusing on today, Leicester against Arsenal at three o'clock on Premier Sport tomorrow. Bournemouth versus Manchester City at half past five. Under lights, a little bit tricky for Man City after you know, a little bit of a wobble. We've got Crystal Palace versus Liverpool at 7.45. Also a big, big game. Some ghosts of uh, seasons past for Liverpool on that one. On Sunday, Spurs versus Chelsea at half past one is live on telly and Sky Sports. also live and off the ball on News Talk with Stephen Doyle and Brian Kerr on duty for that one. And that's a huge game for both sides. And then Manchester United against Newcastle in the cup final at half past four on Sky Sports. The football kickoff with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sports and Premier Sports. I'm delighted to say Colin Bowie is in the studio. Colin, how are you? Sure. Hello, how are you? He's a bullion today after the uh, comeback from Manchester United last night, ahead of the cup final. And Keith Tracy. Keith, how are you? Very well, lads. How are you? Yeah, you're, um, you're pretty excited about how things are going for Arsenal at the moment. Just as it looked like they were getting into significant trouble, they have a massive come-from-behind victory with a bit of fortune at the end. And then, even better than that, Manchester City. Well, something's going wrong there. So Arsenal fans are feeling themselves, right? Yeah, look, um, we all expected Arsenal to have a, have a little bit of a wobble. It's, it's, it's even hard to call it a wobble, to be honest with you, because they lost against an Everton team that had a new manager and Sean Dyche. They're always tricky fixtures. There's always this new manager bounce. So we can understand that one. The Brentford draw, uh, Ivan Tony's offside. So you can understand there's a realm where Arsenal win that game there. And they lost to City twice. You know, it's very, very hard to call that a wobble when you're losing to City and Jordan to Brentford. And well, you understand the Everton one. So I'm sure Mikel Ateta is in there saying this to the lads that we've been outstanding this season. We've lost a couple of games and there's a bit of doom and gloom around the place. But that's that's a sign of how far Arsenal have come. And the, 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 the things I'm hearing now is that Saka signing the new deal. He's going to go up to 200 grand a week. And now people are saying, like, I wasn't sure about Jorginho coming in. I know he's... He's a good player. I find him a bit one pace at times, but he scored that goal and all of a sudden I've accepted him. Arsenal fans seem to have accepted him in general. And now they're saying, like, party's fit. I'm hearing party's going to be fit for the weekend. And people are saying, will we, put, will we keep Jorginho in because he scored that goal? Will we bring party out? And these are not problems I've seen happening because Arsenal's midfield with party has been absolutely outstanding. But for, G- for Jorginho's name to be getting thrown around for maybe coming in, it's just a sign of how, how good the competition is uh, at the club in the midfield in particular. Yeah, I think all Arsenal fans are over the moon, but Leicester, they, they seem to have torn a corner. They won two games on the bounce and then Arsenal, uh, sorry, United put them to the sword the other day. So, yeah, there's, there's an awful lot of things. Only Southampton have picked up less points at home than, than Leicester this season. So, everything is pointing to an Arsenal win, which is usually when Arsenal slip up. So, I just hope that Ah. That is about to happen. Are Arsenal going to win the league straight into the deep end? Sorry, say again. Are Arsenal going to win the league? I look to be honest with you. I think that's largely down to Manchester City. I think we're, we're sitting here. Arsenal have been absolutely outstanding. They've been brilliant, but they're playing above themselves. Is the general consensus right now? Manchester City are probably in second, third gear at the minute, and we're all sitting back thinking. 
if they hit top gear, they can just go on. They could go on beating for the rest of the season. I don't think people are expecting Arsenal to do that. We're expecting Arsenal to drop a couple of points here and there. If City hit the heights that they can, if Erling Haaland just starts banging in the goals again, then I expect City, I have to be honest, I expect City to find another gear and, and overtake Arsenal at some point in the season. But look at, like I said, I keep going back to it. At the start of the season, I want the Champions League football. It looks like we've we've more than secured that already. So the, the, the squad looks like it's in a great, great place at the minute and the competition is brilliant. So if we win the Premier League this season, massive, massive bonus. But look, I'm, I'm already looking at next season as a fan and thinking... Yeah, I'm licking my lips thinking I think we could actually compete over 28 games. If we do it this season, you know, it's it's not what I expected, but, you know, it, all praise to Mikel Arteta and some of the signings he's made have been outstanding. Recent history would show you that when you get the opportunity, you have to absolutely go for it because we saw Spurs get close twice and they just never got over the line and things kind of didn't fall apart totally. They're still obviously uh, perpetual Champions League contenders, but... When you have the chance to win the league, you've just got to take, if it's a slight little gap in City's form, because we don't know what's going to happen with City. Like, City might get away with all of the stuff and the financial shenanigans. There's, there's a, like, that's, that's definitely within the realm of possibility that some technicality is found by uh, the most expensive lawyer in world history and they get off. That's totally possible. At which point you're like, well, Pep is staying. They're going to invest loads more money they've got a bunch of kids coming through who are really good and they can sell a lot of players for loads more money and you know and maybe maybe they work out how to play Erling Haaland so this might just be the window to get in there and keep winning yeah look it's a lot easier said than done I just feel that like I said I feel like Arsenal are just they're at the, they're at the tipping point right now I, I think Shaq in the middle I think he needs a rest he's had a, his fixture list over the last year year and a half 18 months has been been huge party is obviously He's been injured. He's coming back in. Uh, Odegaard, Saka's been kicked up and down the pitch. I just feel like if you take Saka out there, if you take Martinelli out there, even an Odegaard, I think Arsenal started to become a little bit weaker. And I know they're already missing Jesus as well. So I just feel there's a lot of different avenues for Manchester City to be able to catch Arsenal. I, I would love Arsenal to, to find the gear. I'd just be able to keep the pace, but... Look, I'm just sitting back and I think it's just due to the, the amount of respect I have for Manchester City and what they have done and let's not let's not uh, forget that last season Arsenal went to Spurs in the North London Derby and they got beat and their season just capitulated after that so yeah. that that's fresh in my mind and you know Manchester City can go and lose a game but they won't compound it with another one and another one whereas Arsenal have shown that well they, they can do that at times Keith you, you ran through the midfield options there for Arsenal and they're very impressive but one player that I'm very interested in his kind of evolution it's kind of stalled a bit is Emile Smith-Rowe now he's been pestered with injury but you look back to the very start of last season do you remember that game away to Brentford where Brentford won 2-0 in their first Premier League game and Smith-Rowe was the one positive coming out of that game and he was excellent for certainly the first half of last season for Arsenal he's now pretty much switched roles completely with the rest of the squad who are all firing on all cylinders albeit with injury has stalled his progression but does he have a future at the club for you because he's such a talent it's hard to tell because since his injury I haven't I haven't seen an awful lot of him so you know it's hard to tell if he's come back the same player does he still have the, the fire in his belly that he was shown and when a young player gets a serious injury like that sometimes they shy away from dribbling like they had been doing and dribbling and, and ball carrying was a big big part of Emil Smith-Rowe's game and hmm. I, think, I think the best thing from an Arsenal point of view is that 
when Smith Rowe got into the team, I think it opened the door to the Bakayo Saki. They started realizing that, well, if I start doing things properly, this manager will put me in. And it wasn't always like that at Arsenal. And we'll look at where we're obviously seeing the reaping their awards with Martinelli as well, some of the younger players. But in terms of Emil Smith Rowe coming back in, and look, he definitely has the, the talent to be an Arsenal player. But at the minute, you know, it's very, very hard to make a case for him to come back into the team or be playing. He just needs to. He got injured at a very, very bad time. You know, the, when when you get injured as a player, you're sort of thinking, I hope the team, the team don't kick on without me because you're thinking I'll be left behind. And that's exactly what happened to Emil Smith-Rowe. He got injured at a very, very bad time and the team has just gone from strength to strength to strength without him. And it's, it's very hard to see a way back from with how strong Arsenal are at the minute. You mentioned Leicester there, Keith. They're a funny outsider, aren't they? They've had two brilliant comeback wins recently against Tottenham and Aston Villa. Like, excellent. But then you have last weekend against Manchester United, very comfortable 3 0 defeat. James Madison, who captained Leicester that day, said afterwards complete, they completely knocked the stuffing out of us and Rashford scored that first goal. Well, does Brendan Rodgers have any I watched the first more th- left to give? Like? 15, 20 minutes of that, and De Gea made two genuinely world class saves. And there was a, a, well, one brilliant save and one good chance missed. And you're thinking, like, Iheanacho the previous two weeks had shown a bit of form and might actually have stuck one of those in so it would have been really interesting to see because I still think there's a, a bit of a flakiness in Man United if you just you know, but it's too late now I think they've, their confidence has turned to a point where they're recovering that it would have been just interesting to see in the Premier League what would have happened there's a flakiness in pretty much every side in the Premier League if you get at them but like Leicester I think that's actually flakiness is exactly the word for them because no side has lost more points in winning positions than Leicester this season, 19 points in total, Keith. I really did think strongly that at the end of last season that Brendan Rodgers could take this side no further. Now that we're a fair bit into the season and they're so up and down, do you think that Rodgers himself will stay at Leicester beyond this season and also improve them more to the point? No, I, I don't think, looking at it from the outside in, when, you, when you're listening to Brendan Rodgers, he, he's saying stuff, he, he's not exactly talking down about the club but he, he, it's almost like he's defending the club at, at times yeah. Look, when you look at James Madison he's come out in the press recently and said listen I won't be begging him to stay so that for me means yeah. Madison wants out and he's been heavily linked with Newcastle I'm, I'm sure some of the bigger boys as well might be interested in him Teeley means there's links with him and Arsenal I'm sure there'll be a lot of suitors for him as well so I think they, that, that squad could be picked at over the summer and I think Brendan Rodgers will already be annoyed with what's going on in the background, not having too many funds available. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just I think there's a lot of red flags, and Madison is getting a lot better as the season goes on. He's up to nine goals now, and that that sort of papering over some of the cracks that that are at Leicester at the minute. Like you look at Will Fast at the back and Harry Sewer, that's a that's a centre half pair, and that I don't think anybody has a lot of confidence in yet. Like they, they conceded 41 goals in 23 Premier League games, and I think they've lost. 13 or 14 Premier League games already. That's that's a massive amount of games to be just getting rolled over in. And it that creeps in. We all know about the winning way, you know, the winning mentality, but you can get used to losing as well. And when they won the two games, I thought, here we go, Leicester will kick on. And then United just put them away. So and I know United are, are a different animal at the minute, but yeah, I, I take your point. Leicester had one or two chances in the game, but it's a 90 minute game. Yeah, They're not enough. competing for 90 minutes, you know. And, and, I'm just not seeing enough from him. I think Brendan Rodgers will have a look at this and say, look, I'll, I'll look at it this way. If you were to offer Brendan Rodgers 13th or 14th now, I think uh, that's it in 14th. Well, I think he'd rip your hand off and say, yeah, end the season, we'll finish 14th. Let me, let me ask you this then. Uh, if Is there any club who's going to be coming in to offer Brendan Rodgers a job in the summer? And what, what are the clubs at what level? And who would he say yes to? 
Well, it's, it's 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 hard to tell, isn't it? You never know who who's really interested in who until somebody loses the manager. You know, it's I, I'm I'm not too sure, but I I do think on the whole he's done well. His time at Liverpool, people will go back to his time at Liverpool. People for some reason, not me, are, are quite quick to dismiss dismiss how well he did at Celtic. So it's it's not doesn't really count up there. But you have to remember how well he did with that Liverpool squad, and he was overachieving for a long, long time with them. So. Well, if Stephen Gerrard hadn't will... slipped, if Stephen Gerrard had not slipped, they would have won the league that year. And then, like he's he's an all-time legendary manager. Ah, there was other moments. I mean, that was the defining moment. But, yeah, but uh, uh, there was a little bit it was sliding doors moments. I mean, if he doesn't slip and he controls tackles pass, you know, they can make a mistake five minutes later. I think sure, I think they were but... defensively massively frail that season. But he got them. Like Keith said, like he definitely had them outperforming themselves. Luis Suarez is a big part of it, but still. So, so like the potential jobs that are available at uh, the end of this season, the start of next year, we're looking at maybe the West Ham's of the world, maybe a Spurs job. Is he in the market? Is he is he at that level? I don't think the Spurs fans would take him just because. Like, look, he would play a better brand of football than Antonio Conte right now. But what Antonio Conte is doing is he's getting results and although scores are not pretty on the eye, they're getting things done. And Brendan Rodgers might be pretty on the eye, but it would take time to bed in. You would have to get the fans on side. You would have to get players on side to play that way. And I just don't think it, w- it would be a match. But I think the West Ham one, you, s- you say somebody like a West Ham at David Moyes was to go out of there. Yeah, maybe the West Ham one because I think West Ham have, have a line to what, the, what they expect at the minute and where they are this season, I think. David Moyes would be able to improve on that himself but if he was to go out for whatever reason yeah I can see Brendan Rodgers maybe going in there and yeah. improving a couple of players at West Ham I think that could be in and around his level yeah Brendan Rodgers might be pretty on the eye. Brendan Rodgers would love that line. Hey. He would love that line. Well, uh, all that work, all that dental work, you know? Yeah, I, I really do think he should have left Leicester by now. That's the feeling with him. I feel like he's done all he can with them. Yeah, I think, I think he might be thinking the same yeah. as well right now. That's why I brought it up. Definitely, like the point about Madison and Tielemans, like he, he put together a great squad and I'm sure there was like a lot of people who were, you know, bringing the uh, advice of who you should sign. And... Uh, they've all they will all be picked off the bit where it was a Champions League qualifying squad they won the FA Cup it's has gone yeah. and uh, I, I think he deserves a chance at a big club I'd love to see him somewhere like Spurs I actually think he's kind of perfect for Spurs good quality football very ambitious so chocolate that it would go down really well with the uh, the London media it's like it's a match made in heaven yeah I don't know not convinced just, the Spurs fans are a little bit bit edgy at the minute like the, half the time like they're drawing that nil all not playing very well Antonio Conte's team and they're getting booed off sometimes yeah. and it's literally just the style of play so yeah. I think if Brendan Rodgers would go in there and say total football 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 and the results start to go a little bit iffy I just I, I could I just I wouldn't all say right. it ended well although he could go in there and you know totally totally do really really well but just for my way, I, I don't think it would be a, a match for me. Okay, well, let's talk about the cup final. Manchester United against Newcastle. Uh, the Manchester United fans are feeling a little bit kind of edgy because if they lose this now, it's going to be a bit of a disaster. Whereas when they qualified for it, they were like, oh, it's a cup final. It doesn't really matter. But now it's like, oh, we're playing so well that if Newcastle, who haven't won a cup since black and white TV, were to beat, oh, no. What what, what does this mean for us, Colm? What does oh, it mean? No, it's not how a, much of how, how edgy are you? Tickets are a grand a pop, by the way. What the hell? It's a Carabao Cup final. Come on, come Jesus. Um, no, I mean it's not a disaster in any way. If Manchester United oh, lose this not. to Tottenham, they're, they're the only side in England Massive who are competing setback. at all for uh, fronts, really. And the Barcelona game—they're on a high here. I think. Um, I think. Th- 
unless there's a terrible performance uh, waiting on Sunday against Newcastle United I think the fans will put it down to a freak incident if they lose this final there's such good vibes and will towards Eric Ten Hag and what he's doing at the club that he's bought himself a lot of time and space to do what he wants uh, like Newcastle haven't been great recently they're not coming into this cup final in great form Almiron slipped off his very high standards from the start of the season they're not scoring at will they're not winning games convincingly watch what will happen now on Sunday they'll win 2-1 Newcastle yeah. Uh, you don't honestly think that, though? I think they have a very good chance of, of winning, yeah. I mean, like, I was, I actually was thinking, Keith, ahead of this, like, what team does Eric Ten Hag play on Sunday after last night's, you know, brilliant match, very intense, took a lot of energy out of them? Does he go with essentially the same 11 or does he make one or two choices? What's uh, our changes? What is he thinking there? I think he, he has to go as strong as he can. Um you know, where they are now, they're in a cup final, so you've got to go and win it. It's uh, The rest of the games will look after themselves. <clears throat> the big one for me, obviously, Rashford come off last night. We're not sure mm. if he's going to yeah. be fit. If he's obviously integral. So if Rashford is fit, do you even play him? Are you, are you still looking at the, the European competitions? Are you still fighting in the league? Because they're not mathematically out of the league either, although none of us are saying we, we believe they can win it. They're not out of that either. So... Eric Ten Hag might have a, a couple of different uh, things up his sleeve for that, but I would maybe go with Garnacho. I, di- I didn't think mm. Sancho was good last no, night. No, he's uh, very poor. Yeah. Kunde's header, uh, David, David De Gea made a, a great save, and that was at one all. If that goes into the back of the net, you're, you're expecting Barcelona with how well they could keep the ball and the game management. Sancho just lets him run off the back of him. It, it was a winger in a left-back's position. He, he just did not defend it in any way, shape, or form, and David De Gea uh, digged him out of a hole. So, I would probably go with Garnacho, and yeah. he would be up against Kieran Trippier. Who Kieran Trippier is a brilliant, brilliant footballer going forward. It can be it can be got at one v one. Got an awful lot better at that, but can be got at. So that would be a, a brilliant matchup for me. And then the short and Almiron on the other side, in the middle, Casemiro and Fred, the two Brazilian boys. I think they've been excellent, and they'll be going up against Joe Linton and, and Bruno Gomes. Them two Brazilian boys. So I I think there will be a little bit of needle in this as well. And, I, I see I see it going either, either one or two ways. I think United can turn up in the first 20 minutes they can win the game. Maybe maybe uh, Newcastle come out and freeze a little bit. I know they have players that use the big, big, uh, big international games, big Premier League games, but the fans will feel this. The fans are making their way down to Wembley. There'll be an air of excitement in the air, but there'll be an etchiness in the air because the Newcastle fans won't be used to this. The United fans will be. The United fans will be expectant. The Newcastle fans... I just hope that that doesn't creep in, that the, the little bit of nerviness that may be in the air. So I just hope Newcastle don't freeze. And if they don't freeze, look, I'm with Colin. I think this could be a great game. And I would not be surprised one bit if Newcastle win it. I, I, I actually think it could go all the way. I think it'd be really, really tight penalties. It's our first final this century, Newcastle. The last final, 1999, against... Man United. Yeah, the Roy Keane game where he went off injured and uh, didn't play in the Champions final. 4 Two 0 yeah. Two-nil. Teddy Sheringham passed goals, I think. But that was the last time. Was it? There was Newcastle didn't qualify for anything else when Cheer was there, no? No, there was no final anyway. Definitely no showpiece. That and, and it was consecutive finals back then. But like Keith, you'd go surely the front three for United would be Garnacho, Anthony, and Rashford, wouldn't it? With well, Horst and Sancho out. You're you're um, you're been making this case all day. You were making this case on OTBAM this morning as well, and um, Daniel Harris wasn't having it. He, he, like you, you keep the bench strong so that you've got something to change and run the team ragged that's how I put it to, to Daniel but I was wondering Keats taking it what he'd go with yeah look I, I definitely go Rashford I think we all agree that if Rashford's fit you know obviously everything high will have a word in his ears so how, what's the percentage for the percentage on your fitness if he's anything over 60-70% he 
he's in. He, he has to be and he has to start because I know coming off the bench, I never liked it as a player. If, you, if you're given the option, would you like to start? Do you like to come on and affect the game? Everybody wants to start. I think that'll be Rashford's thinking as well. I, I'd go with Garnacho. I think he showed an awful lot more than Sancho. I really like watching how, how direct he is and Sancho seems like somebody who who can get caught up in a, in a you know it's took him a while to find his feet at United. He seems to be finding a bit of form now, but Garnacho is just young. He plays with that freedom that he doesn't really feel the repercussions of like if I lose the ball here, we could lose a goal and we could lose. So he doesn't play with that. He's not bogged down yet. So I would play him in this final because I do Newcastle's defense is really really good. They don't concede an awful lot of goals. So I do think United will have to go mobile. I don't think Weghorst is the one to, to go with. Look, if you want to bring him on and affect it in a different way, if I get the mobile lads up front, if they can't break them down with, with runs uh, into the channels, playing up through the tours, if they can't get, get any joy, then bring Weghorst on and go a little bit more direct and go a little bit more physical, go second balls. No problem, but I would go mobile from the start, given how good Newcastle's defence is. You mentioned there, Keith, it's tough it's tough coming on you'd always prefer to start what is the toughest aspect of it is it getting to the pace of the game and your experiences as a professional or is it more because I always, always thought you take advantage of players that are tiring around you but it, is it trying to get up to that speed so quickly that's the most difficult element yeah well the most difficult thing is trying to get up to speed it, that, that's obviously the big one you, you, you haven't really touched the ball you go out and jog up and down the line you do a few stretches but you haven't touched the ball for an hour, 75 minutes, however long you're sitting on the bench. So your touch is not as sharp as it is. And all of a sudden the ball gets fired into you on a wet patch. And let's not forget, have a look at when some of the lads are warming up. It's literally just like a, a bog patch. There's a bit of grass there maybe, but you go onto a pitch that's slick, it's dry. It's it's really, really difficult to come up the pace. And the, the feel of the game can be in a, a different way as well. When you start the game, it's a neutral one. You're not sure what's about to start. You can... You, you can force the pace of it yourself, but when you come on, Newcastle could be one nil up. You know, it could be one nil up. There could be totally different fields to it. And yeah, it, it can be, you're coming in fresh. The team could be a little bit depleted. It, it can be, you know, it's, it's horses for horses, but I think if you ask that any player, they want to start because it, the tempo is yeah. so, so to get up to. I think, though, from United's perspective, what they're doing is trying to physically wear teams out with Veg Horse. Like you could see him back. He, he got booked when he was back making a bad tackle. Did he even get booked? I'm not sure. In the first half, um, like being a def- an extra defender, and there's an element of that that like is protection, and also you use it quite there and brutalise them for as long as you possibly can. Now, clearly, it was working horribly, so they whipped him off at half time. But I don't think Newcastle are going to be as good as Barcelona. Where I don't think they're going to have to think Barcelona were particularly impressive in that first half they were pretty good they were, they, it was a really tight first half but I thought I was very disappointed the way Barcelona was attacking Trent in the second half uh, they were a disaster yeah but um, uh, I was kind of a bit surprised by it ok so you're saying penalties uh, we think of penalties and then it's in yeah. the lap of the it's in the lap of the gods I think that's a good shout yeah uh, Willy Caballero was the, the hero for um, City against Liverpool in, in um the first final, I think, under the Klopp era, and then they lost the Pep, yeah, and then they lost the uh, UEFA uh, Europa League, yes. and then they lost the Champions League, and then eventually they won. So, if if I was to offer you now like two and a half years of heartbreak, and you ultimately win the Champions League, but there's a lot of heartbreak to go through, would you take it? Yeah, I like. I don't think uh, Manchester United supporters are hoping for Carabao Cup success. 
necessarily it's a nice trophy to have they haven't won a trophy in six years United so it's great to have a trophy on the board but I'm far more interested in the overall progression so to answer your question yes I prefer the overall evolution there'll be a massive overreaction though if they lose of course as you can expect depends uh, on the manner uh, of defeat Stevie on uh, YouTube says I bring Garnacho on not start him and uh, he also says the only thing I fear is Rashford being injured Newcastle mm. are very solid defensively well let's wait and see what the, the team news is like so the other games of the weekend are league games Bournemouth versus Manchester City Crystal Palace versus Liverpool and Tottenham versus Chelsea. Um, Manchester City is an interesting uh, case in point here. This one is um, the half five kickoff on Sky Sports. Uh, I I I never felt confident in them during the week when it was one 0 away from home and they not making the subs. Just it's just Pep Pep is Pep is like just in his own head a little bit at the moment, Keith. Yeah, he he tends to do that, doesn't he? He tends to overthink things at time and. Yeah, so when they went one nil up against Leipzig, it was usually you'd expect them to go kick on now. This would be two or three, or you know they could even put it out of sight for the second leg. But it was just sort of easy ozy. They didn't seem to have the the bit between their teeth like they wanted to go for the jugular. And then Leipzig are a good team, and we all know that you wouldn't be at this stage of the Champions League if you weren't. And they obviously went and got the got the equaliser. There's just so many red flags coming up. Look, far be it for me to to talk about. Pep Guardiola's tactics, but making no subs during the week, which would you would think he's going to make an awful lot this weekend. But over the last two games, he played Bernardo Silva left back, and Bernardo Silva is one of the best attacking midfielders in the Premier League. Right wingers, creative midfielder, or whatever you want to call him, he's very very good at that at controlling the tempo of the midfield and making things happen in the final third. You can't just pop him in left back because he's a clever player. It doesn't work like that. Not at the highest level. You might get away with it in Sunday League. He's a good player. So but Kate, if you if you're like the greatest genius in the history of football, you can do whatever, whatever you want because no one's ever going to stop you. And that's what Pep has been told his whole life. Yeah, he can do that. But the the one thing I have a big big gripe: if it was injuries or he didn't have players and he was filling holes, I'd say fair enough. But he's just let Joe Cancelo go out the door exactly. to Bayern Munich alone. Mad. This yeah. is what I don't understand. It's absolutely madness. Exactly what a manager would be getting scrutinised. And look, I, I believe there was a war of wars between them on the training ground and Pep put his foot down. I understand that. I, I'm not sure how bad it went to, to that extent. But for me, well, if a player stacked, he's one of the best wing wing backs in the world. You have to put up with a certain amount of slack from one of the best wing backs in the world. But you you were on this. You were on this last week. You were, you've you've seen some uh, bad stuff happen, like headbutts and bleeding and all sorts on training grounds. It didn't need to be pretty bad for Pep to huff so badly that he's going to send off this guy. And like all the chances they've conceded recently have come down that wing. They're like, if only they had somebody who could like sniff out the danger with his wisdom and then also step into midfield when he's needed. Oh, but he's playing for Bayern now. That was a great move, Pep. Good man. He must have been real disruptive, lads. Well, you know, we like, don't know. We, we, we know what Roy Keane said to uh, the assistant manager, Carlos Kiros. Yeah. I mean... That wasn't enough to get Roy Keane. It was only when he went mad on telly that they eventually got rid of him. Like uh, he was building up his case at that point, but that, like he was easily distinguished with because he was no longer as great as he once was. Cancelo, in his peak, has been shafted. To, to Keith's point, though, I don't know if this uh, made the highlights or not, or if everybody was watching this during the week. But there was a, a shot that went over the crossbar from Grealish, yeah. but the shot was created when it was just this unbelievable bit of like Maradona-esque. Uh, centre of gravity from Silva where he got bundled over in the penalty area bounces straight back up and pings the pass across the penalty area and then it's like it would have been a beautiful 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 goal from Grealish if it had happened but like if he's playing further up the pitch he can do that all the time whereas if you've got him at left back he's like 
I'm a little bit tired now, Pep. <laughs> and then Pep's bringing them over and telling them what to do. And then Pep has them on the field like Phil Brown at the end, like humiliating them. This is all a bit weird, isn't it? You have to remember as well that there was rumours of Bernardo Silva leaving Manchester City in the summer to go mm. to, to Barcelona. Mm. And uh, he wasn't very quick in coming out. He'd he done some, some interviews about it and he wasn't exactly squashing it, saying... And even Pep Guardiola was saying, well, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And look, I, I understand when you're trying to have a club and you, you, you want players that want to be here, you want players that want to play your way. But when you have individual brilliance and individual genius like that, you have to... I'm not, don't sacrifice your tactics, but you've got to put up with a little bit of slack here and there. Like you look at when I when we go back to the Sean Dyche, uh, the Kieran Trippier and Ross Wallace head, but if Ross hadn't have been as, as talented a player as he was, he'd have been out the door. Mm. It's because he was a talented boy that Sean Dyche was willing to put up with it and mend the holes and, and make things better. I think, look at, I don't know what Cancelo did if, it, if, if he was totally out of order, then I'd put my hands up and say, yeah, you've got to discipline him. But yeah, yeah. how bad could it have been? Come here, Keith. Is it a problem that 36 minutes around the clock in Germany and Erling Haaland had touched the ball a grand total of two times? Or does it actually matter because he's already scored 32 goals this season for Manchester City? Yeah, well, it's only a problem if, if he doesn't score, you know. Yeah. He, he will only touch the ball a couple of times. So certain strikers, you know, we all love Harry Kane. He'll drop deep, he'll make things happen and he'll score goals. Erling Haaland's not really that type of boy. He can drop deep, he can get it and he can run from deep in behind. But for me... When you look at the, the clips of the uh, earlier on in the season when De Bruyne was getting it, when Cancelo was getting it, they were looking for Haaland in behind straight away. He was four or five yards off the two centre-halves and he's still winning the foot race in behind, like the goal against West Ham. But they just stopped playing that ball all of a sudden. And I know teams at stages have been very, very deep and they, that ball is not there. But it has been the last couple of games there is space in behind and they're just not as eager to play it anymore. And, Look, I think City need to need to adapt to Erling Haaland and Erling Haaland needs to adapt to City a little bit. But while the numbers are like they are, it's, it's very, very hard to throw a lot of criticism yeah. at because mm. the numbers are unbelievable. These are the definitions of uh, absolutely first world problems. A reminder, the football kickoff with Sky, all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. We're nearly out of time, so we'll do this pretty quickly. Crystal Palace versus Liverpool. If Liverpool can bounce back from what happened midweek and win this game on the road, under lights, on a Saturday night with a bit of pressure on them, then there's a good chance they'll be okay and certainly they'll still be in the hunt for top four, Keith. Is that fair? Is that as far as I'm willing to go? Yeah, well, look, they're in the hunt, but their season now, after being beaten 5-2 by Real Madrid, their season now is literally a race to try and get into a European competition because they're not competing for the league, they're not competing for any cups. It, it's just, Jamie Carragher, I think, was right. I, I listened to the stuff he was saying is, we're seeing an awful lot of stuff. We're seeing mistake after mistake. We're seeing naive tactic after naive tactic. But we seem like we don't want to talk about it because it's Klopp and he's in so much credit, which he is, and rightfully so. But it's been poor for a long, long time now and it's gone stale. A lot of the back four, when you look at the back four that played uh, against Newcastle, I know he won the game, but there's only Van Dijk that wants to defend. If you do a session and it's a defending session, the only one that will be smiling is Werder Van Dijk because he enjoys the defending. Robertson wants to be up the pitch. Uh, Alexander-Arnold wants to be up the pitch. And people just have worked it out now that Liverpool are top-heavy. When they have possession, they're top-heavy and they stand on the halfway line. So when you win it, a little clip over the top, a race in behind. Ping it. And the recovery runs aren't what they are. They've come yeah. way, way off the boil. But I, Palace haven't been great. I know it's sort of coincided with Zaha being injured as well. That has a huge part of what they do, but 
Palace's performances have been decent over the last couple of weeks. They haven't got the, the points on the board that he should have. So look, I think that'll be that'll be a tough, tough game for Liverpool and I can see maybe a draw in that one. Okay. And then uh, finally for now, Spurs and Chelsea. Obviously this is a, a big game. We we saw the earlier game this season when Tuchel was going a bit crazy and we kind of expected that um oh this is, this is interesting and, and and it was, it was the end. And um I don't know what the hell I don't know what the hell this game means like for but it's massive if Chelsea lose again and if they get duffed up very hard for Potter to say well it's my you know the problem is integrating all these players that's not my fault it's like well no, you can't be saying that Potter they, Potter has won 10 points from the last 9 games 9 Premier League games since the World Cup but yet they have a higher XG than the vast majority of their opposition per game. He had the same problem with Brighton. He's never had a goal-scoring striker, in fairness, Potter, but they can't seem to score goals. They create loads of chances. Are Potter and Chelsea a mismatch, Keith? I don't think so. I, I, I do think that Potter can be the right man for Chelsea. He, he desperately needs a centre-forward. You pointed out the XG there. Look, first thing that pops into my head is Aubameyang's in the club. Why, why not? I know he's not the answer but he's the best answer they have right now so why not throw him in and that again I think is a personal reason I, I know he's he, he left Arsenal for uh, for bad reasons I think maybe that's creeped in as well uh, Graham Potter's trying to stamp his foot at Chelsea he's trying to establish himself as the boss and he doesn't want players in that are not a foot 100% uh, committed to the cause so they need a centre forward in the building they brought some great talent in uh, Enzo Fernandez. I'm loving watching him some of the Chelsea play has been lovely. It's been great to watch, but like you said, they haven't got anybody to hit the back of the net, and th- that's the hardest part of football. I, every time I watch, I watch Chelsea. I come on, I, I come away thinking they're a bit nice, aren't they? They're just a bit nice. Yeah. You don't feel like anybody's going to go in on the Monday morning and dig people out and go, "You are awful. You need to look yourself in the mirror." It just feels a bit noisy, noisy for me that Chelsea at the minute. All right, give us your predictions for Spurs and Chelsea. It's all leaning towards Chelsea. But I think Spurs will grind it out. I think they'll just grind it out somehow. All right. Any thoughts on that? Quickly. Two new Spurs. All right. And that might be the end. But of course, uh, Lukaku could always come back, but he doesn't want to because they've really screwed up that relationship so spectacularly that he's got no interest in it. Um, but he might be uh, the ultimate, the final piece of the jigsaw, I believe, as he, refer- as he was referred to the first time around when he couldn't score. Right. That is this week's episode of the Football Kickoff with Sky. My thanks to Keith Tracy. My thanks to Colin Bowie. We'll be back next Friday at half past 11 across all of Off the Ball's social channels. And you can leave a comment there, or of course, you can hear us on Friday evening and off the ball on News Talk as well. Take care. The Football Kickoff with Sky. Watch every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports.